0: Welcome back to the School of Calisthenics podcast, the Playground sessions with Tim and Jacko, your hosts, I guess. For the podcast.
1: we never discussed Let's this give ourselves, ourselves a I assume We are. Yeah. Well, we give ourselves the titles of head of human flags and yes. head of handstands. Yeah, so we'll really now of hosting the podcast. Well, there's no one else hosting it, so <laughs> it's not going to happen if we don't do it. At this rate, we might get fired <laughs> by ourselves. <laughs> anyway, guys, welcome back. We've got a great guest on for you this week, and it is a little bit of a different flavour this time around. We've got Kenny Jameson, who wrote A World in Two Minds. and um, We get really into um, some of the detail of the book, but basically, we're going to talk about how we need to change our thinking to change our future, and there's some really challenging stuff in there but also what does calisthenics do or what's the opportunity that we have in calisthenics to ch- maybe change a little bit of our own lives and the lives of other people is yeah, that and fair? We,
0: yeah and we talk about one huge um, thing that we're both passionate about and we believe that everybody is seeking to some level is happiness and what are some of the like roots behind happiness how uh, we see calisthenics making us happy and all of you guys that enjoy doing it and and kenny gives us a bit of context as to what's going on in the mind and the brain and the body as to why it might be something that actually there's some there's some reasoning and some science behind why it's making us happy other than just it being cool
1: yeah so there's plenty of stuff in there could get your neurophysiology juices flowing <laughs> understanding how the human brain works a little bit more um so we hope you enjoy it guys
0: yeah this is uh, kenny jameson from
1: a world in two minds <laughs> Okay, welcome Kenny Jameson to the School of Calisthenics Playground podcast. It's great to have you on. I'm super excited to delve into a little bit of... um what what you've written down in your book A World in Two Minds and I love the subtitle here that why we must change our thinking to change our future so that opens up (laughs) a big subject for us to get into on this so welcome on board (laughs) would you mind Kenny just introducing yourself to the listeners and uh, give us a bit of context and background to who you are
2: Sure, by all means. Yeah, my name is uh, Kenny Jamieson. My um, my background is in, in social sciences. I went to Edinburgh University, to study social sciences, um, of which um, marketing is, is is one. And uh, I became a professional marketeer and worked for many years in the in the drinks industry um, across marketing and innovation. But really, what, what motivates me um, and has always driven me is, is understanding human behaviour, which ultimately sits at the at the root of marketing. So so rather. Than and going to academia, I chose to pursue a career in marketing. But you know, understanding humans and understanding behaviour is uh, is core to what I've always been interested in. So it's taken me a long while to get around to doing it. But uh, I, I recently uh, wrote a book, as you as you say, "World in Two Minds," which is really all about the human race and my um, my interpretation of where we are, how we got here, uh, and most importantly, the role that the the human brain plays in creating. Uh, creating culture
1: and creating global society Great um, Would you mind just giving us a little bit of we're going to get into a few technical um, terms as we go through the conversation a little bit so could you kind of just give us a bit of background around some of the things that we're going to cover so particularly around how the brain works and we'll talk about left brain, right brain how that sort of, and, and you, you use the term whole brain thinking I think is, I believe is that right? Can you just explain sure. a little bit about what that is and, and, and give it some context?
2: Sure, yeah, I mean I guess most people know that the, that the brain has two hemispheres so, so we've got two parts to our brain, um, one on the right one on the left so commonly referred to as, as right brain and left brain thinking But, um, and, and I guess most people probably know that the, the left brain hemisphere operates the, the motor skills on the right side of the body and the right brain hemisphere operates the, the left side of the body so we've got this kind of strange crossover effect going on um, uh, uh, so the, the, the key thing about the, bra- the brain and the human brain is that we all, we all use both sides of our brain all of the time um, over the years there's a lot of nonsense being written about people could be left brained or right brained and that's not strictly speaking true we all use both, both hemispheres all of the time and the important thing about them um, is that the, the process data or environmental information that, that they, they, the the information that we, we take in through our senses, they process them uh, the same data in, in completely opposite ways. And it's a really kind of strange modus operandi, but it, obviously it's something that evolution created very, very you know, very, very many years ago and and, and and we've inherited and it's we share we share the same modus operandi with all mammals actually, this these two brain hemispheres so um, and, and, and it it's fair to say that, that neuroscience is, is one of the sort of least well developed Sciences, it's, it's one of the things that we still Know least about um, So so everything that we do know about the brain Is still pretty much in its, in its infancy Yeah,
0: yeah. with those And right, I think in um, The difference or j- Just the difference between what the, the Left side of the brain and the right side In terms of like comparing logic and Imagination, those types of things Those things coming from different, different Parts of the brain, is that
2: they, they, they do well. The simplest way to, to think about our, our brains is that they're actually really really old because we, our brains haven't haven't evolved for about two hundred thousand years um, since since you know Homo sapiens. Um,
0: Mine's a similar age to me. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, well sometimes it feels a lot older. I know. Um, you, you know, our, our, there's there's been very very little evolution um, in in our brains. So so in many ways our brains are still actually kind of designed to be um, on the, the African savannah you know yeah. hunt um, and prey and one of the ways if one of the ways I could explain that, that what the right and the left brain um, do and what why they do them separately because it wouldn't make evolutionary sense for them both to do the same job because our, our brains are designed to be very energy efficient yeah so we, one of the characteristics, for example, is that the vast majority of our thinking is actually unconscious, So, so because that's a very energy-efficient way to process thinking. So we're actually consciously aware of, of a, a very small percentage of all of our thinking, probably less than 10%. So the vast, vast bulk of what goes on, goes on unconsciously, because that's energy-efficient. But it wouldn't make evolutionary sense, as I said, for the left brain and the right brain to do the same job. So they operate in in completely opposite ways. And then when they blend together, that's what makes us efficient. So if we take our left brain as a characteristic, we focus very narrowly with the the left part of our brain, while our right brain focuses very broadly so they, they focus in very different ways almost the left brain zooms in and the, and the right brain zooms out now why, why would why would evolution design a brain that does that well it, 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 it's designed to, to enhance our survival ultimately so if you think about if you're on the African savannah and you're trying to find prey then your left brains to zoom in quite narrowly and be quite focused in order to find prey mm. Yeah, at the same time your right brain has to simultaneously sort of scan the environment to ensure that you don't yourself become prey. So you've yeah. got this kind of narrow focus that allows you to find prey and, and, and wide focus that allows you to look out for dangers and so on and so forth. And that that's a you know, okay, that's that's a very specific example, but that modus operandi ultimately influences you know everything that we perceive, everything that, 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 that stems from that. And we're still operating in exactly the same way. So when we're having a conversation with someone, so I'm having a conversation with you guys, and unfortunately you're on, you're on Skype, so um, you, you can't do me any damage. But what you, when you're having a, a conversation with an individual, your left mind is focusing in on the words that the person's speaking to understand literal meaning. But at the same time, your right mind is focusing much more broadly on body language, and it's looking out for things like you know a scowl. Or clenched fist, because those those would, those would provide you with early warning signals that that the person you were speaking to you know might be a danger to you. Yeah. So so all of the, all of that sort of taking place, um, and whilst you know you're, you're both your left brain and your right brain are processing the same experience, the conversation you're having with an individual, yeah. They're doing they're doing very very different jobs, and it's the, it's a synthesis of those two things that that kind of make
0: you a whole person yeah it was making me think with our um, almost like when we got started with calisthenics with our with our way of changing our sort of way of training and our mindset and approach towards training that um, w- when we sort of got this phrase redefine your impossible it came off the back that almost part of your brain and, and, and I guess it's maybe like the left side of your brain going that thing that you're trying to do that is impossible like looking at that how on earth are you going to do it and then the, the right side of your brain almost going yeah but what if you what if you look at the big picture maybe actually if you break it down you work towards it you could do something that's impossible so almost those two opposite thoughts in your in your head happening at the same time it's yeah. it, it sort of make it it starts it makes you know we just experienced that but actually talking about it and looking at the sort of, bit of science behind it starts to make a bit of sense which is fascinating yeah. Can, yeah.
1: Do, do people tend to have a i know you say they don't the not left or right brain but like there must be is there something around like somebody who's getting stuck in the detail and of take that thing of like redefining impossible we, we used to use the phrase oh it's in the impossible box a place in your brain where you you put things that you currently can't do Yeah, is there any difference in how people manage that sort of um let's call it a mental landscape in terms of like if they're very much free free thinking and of course I can do that I'm just going to crack on and mm. those that will very much get stuck in that that kind of that narrow not narrow-minded but that kind of um that was firmly rooted in I couldn't possibly do that is that a is there any science to support that or
2: yeah there, there, there is I mean if I explain a little bit more about the, the how the brain works that will help answer that, that question the, the the right hemisphere is more um, deeply connected to our senses, so and to our emotions. And it seems to be the case that it's through a right hemisphere that we're sort of embedded in the outer world. And, and uh, Jacko touched upon that being the being a big picture. That's, that's mm. absolutely right. So when you're in the outer world, because the outer world is a real world and it's changing all of the time, And you're constantly scanning for uh, relationships and understanding how things interact with everything else. So, So your right mind very much looks at the big picture and tries to understand how everything connects with everything else. And it seems that as we experience the world, we do so firstly through our right hemisphere. And the right hemisphere then sort of passes its interpretations to the left hemisphere. And the left hemisphere is where we sort of we, we create what what they call schematic structures of associative memory. It's a very sort of grand phrase. Mm-hmm. But essentially, from the day we're born, every, everything that we experience, your left brain is where you, you kind of store all the memories of um, how things worked and what worked in that particular situation. And that's, again, it's all about energy efficiency because, you know, if you, if you pick up your sock, More efficient if you had to then experiment with all of your body parts to work out where your sock goes so at a very early age you learn that your sock goes on your foot and that's something that your left brain sort of stores away as an association it associates your foot with a sock okay right yeah so so that means when you pick up a sock you you, you know your, your brain automatically makes that association and you know that it goes on your foot and you pick up a nail and rather than hitting it with a spanner, you know, your brain tells you, well, I, you know, associates a nail with a hammer, and, and that's what... So that's kind of how, how, how you operate. So, But obviously, as you, as you grow older, um, these sort of schematic structures are, are quite fixed and and you know every time you pick up a nail, you always always want to go for a hammer, which is which is great if you you know if you want a hammer and a hammer and a nail. But if you're looking for new ideas, or if you really want to challenge yourself, or you really want to push yourself out of your comfort zone, your left mind always kind of wants to give you the same solution that it gave you before. And if it says you can do things or you can't do things, then that's that's its tendency. Whereas your right mind is much more comfortable with ambiguity, it's, it's much it's kind of much braver because it's because it's used to sort of operating in a in a real world that's ever changing, it's it's much more ambitious, much more comfortable with 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 danger, much more comfortable with risk. Your left mind is much more risk averse because our, our conservative tendencies, if you think about our sort of political polarities being liberal and conservative, and those are sort of the opposite ends of the spectrum. It's our left mind that's responsible for a lot of our conservative impulses and a right mind that's responsible for our, our liberal okay. impulses because freedom and flexibility no. are very much, you know, rooted in the outer world and structure and order are very much rooted in our sort of inner world of these schematic structures.
0: Yeah. Um so that's so understanding a bit more about how we sort of thinking and processing and, and, and the effect or well we're going to t- talk a bit more about the effect of of that now and how one of the big things that that's a theme in the book and something that's that's been a massive theme for us and for other people engaging and, and, and trying calisthenics training bodyweight training is um this this phenomenon known as uh, happiness um and you talk a lot about the impact of like there's the sort of things that are changing and affecting our happiness as, as humans, and we've seen a very positive effect for lots of different reasons which we can get into um, from our calisthenics training, and it's not just us that are saying this, it's the, the community within um, are, are, are experiencing that as well, and it's fantastic to see, and we see a very positive thing coming out of it um, relating to like the happiness, but just... Give us a little bit of context as in What you go into the book in terms of How we are as humans And how society is affecting our happiness And what some of the solutions you sort of suggesting And, and we'll see whether we can tick off some of those With our calisthenics training mm,
2: Yeah, well What I talk about in the book In, in the, the first section is that How, how essentially we're making ourselves ill we've, You know, the, the cultures That we've created are are making ourselves sick, and obviously when we're you know, when we're sick, we're also unhappy. So he- health and happiness sort of go hand in hand, and mm. and, and, and being mentally or physically ill, it's, it's impossible to be happy if you're in, in, a, in either of those situations. And our, our dominant culture, um, which I would call scientific materialism, really is, is 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 what's making us ill and making us sick. And I think. Um, and a, I go in, you know, in, in the book, and there's a long sort of history to that. But, but one of the, um, one of the drivers of that is of scientific materials, and really was, goes back as far as the Industrial Revolution, and, and when we shifted from being um, farmers to, to, to being um, you know, producers of, of of mechanically produced goods, and, and how we sort of lost, we lost touch with our physicality. Um, and, and obviously, when we were farmers, we, we were—you uh, know—the vast majority of people did physical work. And, and a lot of what I talk about is, is you know, is, is that happiness is rooted in coherence uh, or, or balance within your within your body, not only between the right and the left brain hemispheres, but also between your mind and your body, so that so that you you have you know sort of whole brain and whole body, of neurophysiological harmony or balance. Um, and that being a core root of individual happiness. Um, we're also very social animals, um, and a lot, a lot of uh, our personal happiness is also rooted in the relationships we have with other people. So I talk a lot about how, you know, how, how that's important um, and how materialism has kind of um, taught us to, to value material possessions and to make physical and, and mental attachments to, to tangible things. And actually um, the science and the research says that that we, we gain happiness from much simpler um, pleasures such as, you know, being in nature and and having good relationships with people.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting. I think my granddad was a farmer um, and so I spent some of my early years and and seeing what he was like as a person, it was amazing. (laughs) Well, just like farmer strength is one like we both play rugby and whenever we went to go and play rugby in a farming community you're like oh crikey we're gonna get filled in here because they're <laughs> huge guys but they're just strong yeah. um, and they could move well like i remember going to yeah some places and I, i'm not a big guy so i i often on the worst end of that but if we often in, in in movement and sport we talk about like general movement practices versus specific and it's the same thing like We like the idea in calisthenics of going, I want movement options. I want to be able to move in certain ways and be more of like a generalist than actually... Uh, more specific thing about i'm just going to do powerlifting or bodybuilding because a lot of calisthenics is like can you move in that different way and i think a lot of people look at it and go well bodyweight training is quite niche but within that we're actually we we use the phrase explore your physical potential through bodyweight training like see what you can do and and that leads us to kind of connecting that mind and body quite a lot because you've almost got to work out and solve the problem of how am i going to move in that way um and it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on the on the conscious and unconscious ways of doing that, as to exposing ourselves to different challenges. Um, but it brings in the idea of, like, let's take a handstand in this example. When I'm upside down, I'm strong enough to be able to do it. I have to understand where my feet are in space. Um, and it's that, again, that connection of where is my body yeah. at any one time, which is going to enable me to balance. And you're
0: doing see, it subconsciously. You're not yeah. thinking, oh, my feet have gone a bit too far, I'm going to do this. No, you've got no far. idea. Maybe you go start. Feel. Yeah. yeah, but you go off Yeah, exactly. Go off feel subconsciously.
1: And, and that's one of the things, care it'd be great to get your thoughts on around um, that conscious unconscious around learning new skills. And if you just touch on that, I think you mentioned it before around we almost want to bypass that unconscious so when I do a handstand now that skill progression for me is fairly well um, mm. established so I don't have to think too much about it, is, is there anything yeah. from your understanding of how we can help people to maybe move past the conscious and, and spend more time in the unconscious which then ultimately creates better connection with the brain and better movement quality and, and, and sort of depth of, of, of skill and ability
2: mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence. I mean, how we learn any skill ultimately is, is, is you know, practice. So if you, let's say you start off playing golf or something like that, to, to, to start with, it's a very mechanical process, isn't it? You know, you've got to learn the swing. You've probably got a golf coach telling you how to grip the club and perform the swing. But as you get better and better and better and better, you, you, you sort of embody those skills. You, you commit them to your unconscious memory. And then once you become really good at something, you don't you don't really have to consciously think about it. You know, it's a bit like driving. You know, once you once you can drive, you don't you don't um, you don't have to go through the sort of mirror mirror maneuver and all of that that, that you get taught by a driving instructor. Well, so it does it does, does get to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it does it does get committed to, to, to memory. But I think um, you know, to become really, really proficient at anything, whether it's sport or playing the piano or whatever, um, there's almost another a, another level to that. And that's when you, when the really top athletes and the really top sportsmen get into, get into what in the zone or or what they might call flow or peak experiences, or there's lots of different words for it. But it's really. I'm oh, sorry, you Kenny. Know, Is there like.
0: Um, I can't, we had one of our coaches when I played rugby that used to bang on about the. These four square, like a square with four pieces, and it was like unconsciously competent or unconsciously incompetent, and then unco- like the, the the is it is it? Am I wrong? The right rhymes with some of that. Where are you going to like? Unconscious competence or when something it like that—is that right? Works, it's <laughs> <Yeah. working. laughs> but there's something like that, isn't there?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> is that actually, the same they, type they, of thing? Yeah, same type of thing. <laughs> different diff- different levels of, of capability and, 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 yes. and you know learning, learning anything you'll go through various and um, various steps. But but yeah, peak, peak peak performance is um is really where you get what they call neurophysiological harmony. So where your your mind and your body are working as one and and, and you're effectively thinking with your whole body. And at that point, your conscious mind's not involved. And in fact, it can't be involved because to to introduce a conscious thinker would actually break the spell or break break the magic. And, And we've probably all experienced flow at some point. Um, you know, wh- wh- whether you know, driving a fast car or playing football, and some people can can you know get into that kind of it's almost like a trance-like state of flow, and people can access it when they're writing, when they're taking photographs, yeah. you know, all, through all sorts of all, all sorts of ways. But what happens then is is that your your two brain hemispheres get synchronised, so that they're working together in sort of perfect harmony. And not only do they get synchronised, but your your mind gets synchronised with your body. Um, and I, I talk I talk a little bit about flow in, flow in the book, and it's it's actually quite often quite hard to describe in words. Um, and that's one of the t- telltale characteristics because it's only retrospectively that you can recognise it. But I re- you know, I remember playing a lot of football when I was a kid, and it wasn't never, never all that good, but I do remember um, you know just brief periods in matches that maybe only lasted for a few minutes where. It almost feels like you're sort of gliding across the football field. You're not. You're not actually exerting any physical energy, and um, you know everything's smooth. You're, every touch is perfect. Every pass is perfect. It's almost like you're you're operating on a sort of different plane. And and, and you know that didn't happen to me very often when I was playing football, as <laughs> which is why I never a professional footballer. But uh, you know, but you, you can get into that with with running as well because running is very rhythmic. Particularly, I listen, you know, if you're running, you listen to music. What's actually happening there is that your your body and your brain are, are becoming synchronised, and the rhythmic nature of, of the music often helps you to get into that sort of trance-like state, mm. and and you just feel great. You're you're running really fast. It doesn't feel like your energy's getting depleted, and you're just you know you've got a little taste there of what the sort of top athletes experience when they when they're in, in the zone, and 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 that's that's really. You know, peak performance, both physically and mentally, and actually when you're uh, you're most capable. Mm. And to take that on a further level, you know if you go back far enough, that that so neurophysiological consciousness, where mind and body are in, are in sync, is, is is one thing. But there's almost another level that that um, is is spiritual. Actually, when when you kind of go to a, a, a further level where you're you're connecting with with your soul, as it were and And a lot of religion is actually rooted in that kind of notion as well. So sort of religious incantation, um, you know that repetitive mm. um, mantra, or even you know the talk you, you talk about sort of physical labor as doing God's work. So that notion of repetitive action, whether it was sweeping a courtyard or you know cleaning, cleaning shoes or whatever. That, that notion of using your body to, 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 to sort of engage with with the spiritual world and, and, and elevate your consciousness to an even higher level is is all rooted in the notion of synchronizing the brain hemispheres and mm-hmm. that's something that kind of meditation and mindfulness and all those kind of practices seek to do as well. Yeah. Connected.
1: It's really interesting you mentioned mindfulness there because it's come up a bit in our conversations recently amongst our team and with, with other people and Obviously, it's it's become a a very prominent part of culture. A lot of people are talking about mindfulness and, and recognizing the benefits of it, and and yoga. I think in in for my kind of observations of Western society in the UK is has sprung up because people need to find time to go and sit in a quiet room and just. Chill out a little bit, and and yoga creates an opportunity to do that. Of it's a quiet, relaxing space, and it starts to connect you back with your body. So loads of the stuff that you're talking about. And somebody once said to me, like calisthenics is like a new form of yoga, and what he meant was it's actually it brings in mindfulness through the practice. We haven't got to sit in a room for twenty minutes, just kind of like engaging in that quietly because when you're upside down trying to balance in a handstand you can't be thinking about the stresses that you've got going on in the rest of your, your day um and that side of things of actually trying to do new things which are hard um which require concentration on the task at hand Mm. i find really gives me a break so somebody once told me the phrase that some people need to move to think and i'm like that like if i sit still i'm a nightmare like i'm I'm getting my own thoughts and i'm I'm off somewhere else but i have some of my most profound thoughts and most creative thoughts like if i go for a run or i'm in the gym i'm thinking while i'm moving and then i come back to my car or or get back and go i've got all this Stuff I need to write down, because it's that's kind of where I do a lot of my my creative thinking. But it's way more effective if I'm moving. Is that is that kind of fit into what we're the context of, of, of again that mindfulness and flow state? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, most de- most definitely. I mean. I, Mindfulness and meditation, what, what what it's essentially saying is that, that you know you might meditate for for twenty minutes a day or twenty minutes twice a day, but but really it's not the twenty minutes times two. that's that's the point. it's 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 the the ability to transfer that mindset throughout your whole day. and and, and there is evidence that you know the people who meditate regularly are able to maintain, and you can you can you know check check this by mm. strapping strapping the equipment to people's heads to, to, to measure brain waves are actually able to, to maintain um, greater levels of brainwave synchronicity through, throughout the whole day and that makes them you know better it makes them, allows them to perform better or whatever, whatever it is they happen to, to be doing it allows them to be more relaxed to be yeah. to be less stressed it allows them to to, to to be happier as well yeah it's mm-hmm. sort
0: if calisthenics is giving us an opportunity to be mindful then that's giving us a tick in the happiness one tick in the happiness box um i think then the other thing with what we're saying is because it's because calisthenics is difficult and you're learning some new skills so not just difficult don't worry about i don't think everyone needs to worry about the strength side of it difficult when you're trying to learn to move in a new way then you have to be really conscious about what you're doing and you're therefore like we were, we literally were doing a training session earlier where we start we were we were trying to do a straight bar handstand where we were kept we we couldn't get the right alignment so we started problem solving so we were discussing also together which is a bit of community so therefore another tick in the happiness box but then we're really engaged in in the moment and trying to problem solve figure something out and we were trying to when we were then actually trying to do the practice we were definitely trying to link unsuccessfully but we are trying to link the mind and the body to solve this problem so that mm. linking between mind and body another mm. tick in the happiness box with calisthenics <laughs> um, which no it's it, it sort of we, we, we we've, we've talked a number of times between us about like um, the happiness well we're talking about strength and play like how the fun side of calisthenics and I think I'm getting a better understanding now of why not just it being fun because sometimes we're messing about in, with our training rather than being really strict, that actually some of the happiness and the fun is coming from this sort of these underlying principles around what makes people ultimately happy that, that you're talking about. Um, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. yeah. But I think that, that you know, we're, as, as children, we're, we're taught to play. And and it comes very naturally and very intuitive to to, to kids. So, any any kid that before he he or she goes to school, you know, you can give them a cardboard box, and that cardboard box can become a spaceship, it can become a house, it can become a hat, it can be be anything. And then what happens is, you know, this comes back to the overarching culture within which we live. So, you know, scientific materialism is, if that's the dominant culture within which we live. That, that sort of dictates educational policy, it dictates how, how we, we, we um, educate um, our children, how, how we you know, bring them up from, from a very early age, how we stereotype children, um, so, so you know, kids are pointed towards science and, and maths and, 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 and those sorts of subjects and that kind of pushes them down a, down a particular pathway. And, and at a very early age, kids are taught that there, there's, there are right and wrong answers to things, and, and you've not to colour outside the lines, and, and you've to behave, behave yourself, and you've to, you know, That's follow the rules, right? follow the rules, and you have yeah. to you know follow the structure, etc. And, and and that kind of playfulness, playfulness is core to innovation, it's core to creativity, but it kind of gets knocked out of children mm. um, as soon as they go to school. And and, and they, 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 you know, they they gradually learn to to conform. They learn to, um, to 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 think in uniform ways, and that's all to do with your you know your left brain taking over and and starting to dominate um, and, and playfulness. Requires and creativity requires freedom and flexibility, and, and that's very much rooted in the in the right mind. So, so whilst it's true to say we, we, we use you know both hemispheres all of the time, they, they do very different things. So so there's loads of evidence that, that creativity really does require a sort of very fertile right brain. Mm. Um, the good the good news is that it can be. Um, it's a bit like a muscle that, that you know if you don't go to the gym your muscles atrophy but you can kind of rebuild your creativity and rebuild your your right brain um, right brain skills but you, you you know you asked earlier if if people become well, well no one's right brained or left brain mm. solely we do we do develop a preference there's no question about that we we um, now part of it's to do with how you are but part of it's how to do with how you're brought up. Um, and, 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 you know, you'll develop a preference and a kind of competence and preference go hand in hand. You know, if you're quite good at maths when you're a kid, then obviously we, we gravitate towards things that we're good at. Mm. So if you gravitate towards maths, then you'll become more competent in maths and then you'll start to like it more. And if you then follow a cat, then that's going to sort of reinforce that as a, as a, a, you know, as you, you're you're going to become left brain dominant because you've you've gravitated in that direction. You know, or if you work in the arts or the humanities, or if you're a, a nurse, for example, um, you know, you're much more o- oriented towards relationships and empathy and so on and so forth. Then you're going to be much more uh, right brain oriented. But what what's really interesting is if you take well individuals can can either have a preference for for right or or left brain if you take large groups of people um, and you aggregate them all together and you say what's the average profile, Um, well she'll have some people who are quite, quite left brain dominant, others who are quite right brain dominant on average and, and in aggregate, we, large groups of people tend to be quite balanced. So, mm-hmm. as as a as a as a kind of society, we tend to be quite um, balanced. So if you take all Germans or, or all, you know, um, all Asians or whatever, the, the, where, where that does fall down and it's really quite interesting is is that, that men are different from women. If you take um, large groups of men and large groups of women, you'll tend to find that well, some men are. Right brain dominant, and some women are left brain dominant. On average, in large groups, men will tend to skew towards the left brain, and girls will, will tend to girls or women will tend to skew towards the right brain. So, so there's a there's a difference between the genders in terms of brain dominance, which um, is subject to a lot of conjecture as to why that might be. But um, I, I, I have a theory in my I have a theory in my book that um, that, that that I talk about.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, Kenny, just on that, and then I think we'll move on to a a different topic. Jackie wants to pick up one, but if you've got somebody... who is it? Kind of wants to be more creative, for example, or um, feels like they want to kind of change their mindset around what is and isn't possible. So for someone who's coming into looking at some of the stuff in calisthenics, it looked hard. We've, we've got this idea of, of redefining impossible. Other ways that people can change, like intentionally sort of move to um, becoming a bit more balanced, or, or create the opportunity for them to to be more innovative or creative or confident. I guess that also comes a little bit from the from the right. Side. Um, mm-hmm. uh, is it can is that is it changeable? How and, and what sort of things can people do to sort of to, to optimize that?
2: Yeah, no, it's, it, it's 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 changeable. Nothing's nothing's fixed. You know, you you're, you we all have preferences and, and habits. Really, is is is, is what is, is what's the biggest barrier is habitual behaviour, and 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 breaking habits requires. Um, you know, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone—it requires a bit of bravery, a bit of courage. So things like, you know, getting support from others is is obviously quite important, and um, doing things in groups so you've got mm. kind of mutual um, support networks and so on and so forth. Community, um, Take. yeah, ab- absolutely, community. Yeah. But but also, um, you know, how how you go about sort of changing. Um, habits. Habits are hard to break long term mm. because we have a very natural tendency to fall back into into old habits. Mm. Um, so, um, changing the changing the sort of structures around how we live our lives is, is quite important. So mm. putting you know rules in place that sort of breaks habits. So, I mean, I, I don't you know to use a sort of analogy of of, of smoking for example that's a as a really difficult habit to break. But just using willpower to stop smoking is quite difficult. So what, what you do is you, you create structures or put structures in place that help sort of reinforce the change in behaviour that you want to create. So in the case of smoking, you, you might you know chew gum or, or, or wear a patch or... You know, or, or or stop going to the pub, or stop drinking alcohol, if that's when you tend to smoke, or ask your ask your mates not to offer you cigarettes and so on and so forth. So if you if you want to get you know into into physical exercise, you've got to think well, what are the what are the things that that make me that make me that give me an excuse not to exercise or not to look after my body, and, and I, what can I put and what structures can I put in place that will actually help. Maintain my resolve and help reinforce on a daily basis the sort of behavioural change that I that I want to see. So, so um, you know, I just you know, I I run quite a lot, and uh, I find it really hard during the winter to run, Mm. particularly you know, especially in Scotland where the weather's not always the best. (laughs) But you know, one of one of the things I just put in place mentally is to say, right, I'm going I'm going to run three times a week, and it's it's a Sunday, Tuesday, and a Thursday, and I'm not allowed to have any excuses. Mm-hmm. No, so, so I've just had my dinner, or I'm feeling a bit tired, or I've been working really hard today, or it's snowing six outside, six or any of those snow. things. Yeah, <laughs> that does it, That just you're not allowed. You have to run three days a week without any yeah. excuses. So well, I think cause put, cause the cost of entry course. to
0: something like running is so simple, it's yeah. put your trainers on and go out and mm-hmm. go out and yeah. run. So it's very, it's very accessible to people. I think. One where obviously I'm like very pro calisthenics, um as we sort of have to be. Um, <laughs> the 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 cost of entry for learning a handstand, exactly the same. You actually don't it's even better, you don't need trainers. Mm, so yeah. there is zero yeah. cost of entry. Um and the thing that I um really passionate about is the adherence to to training within calisthenics comes a lot from the reward of learning to do something new which is really quite exciting and mm. the fun element to it so um, I, I, do, I do some running and stuff as well And some and some cycling and I, and I think the thing I like about cycling Is more being out in nature Necessarily than the, the burning sensation In my quads when I'm going up a steep hill I don't particularly find that fun um, And you do touch on that And you've already touched on that about nature um, And that's one of the great things about calisthenics Is that because we don't need any equipment for some things, take the handstand, for example, that we can we can do it. It's amazing to do it outside. It feels you get that, that closeness with nature that is another one of those ticks that you were saying in terms of, of happiness. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah. really de- but definitely the um, I mean I, I'm biased, but I do think that like learning to do a handstand is more fun than running, and therefore I'm more likely. To adhere to the training for it, if that makes sense. Um, well, I
2: think what what you've got, you know, go, going in your favour, you know, in all all sports um, and yeah. gen- generally, is that there is a there is a polarisation in society. Um, on the one hand, we're becoming more and more unhealthy, and, and you know, rates of obesity and diet, diabetes yes. and so on and so forth are, are going, through, going through the roof. Yeah. The roof. Um, you know, the, the foods we eat are, are, are often unhealthy, etc., etc. But but what one of the things uh, you know I talk about in, in, in the book is that you know, we, we live in a we live in in in, a, in a, a what's called a complex adaptive system. It's kind of like a, it's a living organism, and one of the characteristics of these systems is that they they, they always try and heal themselves because coherence or balance is their natural state. Mm. Any any living system. Automatically tries to to heal itself by 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 dialing up the opposite of the thing that's causing it pain in the first place. So so simultaneously within global society, you've got this sort of you know health epidemic going on in in terms of in terms of negative health. But at the same time, a lot of people are realising that actually. You know, well-being mindfulness yeah. um, physical health are really really important in order to sort of counterbalance those negative effects so people are becoming more interested in health and nutrition more interested in food more interested yeah. in physical exercise more interested in, in mental well-being and that's really what's driving yeah. you know organic food and yoga well I think and, the, and, and, and
0: people are, people have realised people are trying some of these things, people are trying different exercises. People are trying to eat differently in, in terms yeah. of what they think is going to be better. And then the reason why it's 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 picking up in public popular, popular, pop, popularity, can't kind of speak, is because it works. That it does actually make you feel better. It does actually increase your happiness. And
2: yeah,
0: and that's that's the, for me. That's the proof is in the pudding. That if it didn't, then these things would just die off and it would be like a ha- a fad. But like getting out in nature eating uh natural food like that makes you better feel better about yourself because
1: like it's the right thing to do
2: yeah no absolutely
1: <laughs> Absolutely, Kenny. There's one line in the in the instruction which I've which I highlighted, which I loved, and you touched on it a bit before. I don't know if you're referring to the same thing as what I picked out, but I'm just got to look at the paragraph here. It says because you, you, you present a um, the first couple of chapters are fairly difficult reading um, in a sense of some real home truths to the sort of state that, that we found ourselves in as a site, or we've as you say we have created for ourselves. Um, yeah. And it's almost a bit scary and going, well, what is the way back from this? Like it's and um, and again, like we we see a little bit of a small microcasual of that in, in around the fitness industry health and well-being what we've got issues with male dysmorphia or body image and and steroid abuse and all these sorts of things it, it, it's not a healthy space A health and fitness space is supposed to be a positive thing but in many ways it's quite destructive from both physical and mental um, health perspective and mm-hmm. I love this line that you've put in here says, there is no single silver bullet solution for healing human society but increasing the influence of women is the best option we have for accelerating the harmonious integration of our species. And then um, mm-hmm. we referenced about the, the, um, uh, the outdated boy codes, which male children are still raised. But we get yeah. um, a lot of females coming on our workshops and they're an absolute, like it's amazing what they're doing. And they're, it's so different for us actually coaching um, males and females because of how they respond to that. Um, I just was interested in how you've um, on your thoughts on that on, 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 on what the, what the bit more of the detail around that of, of that is
2: yeah yeah sure um, the uh, there's a lot of evidence that, that, that young boys still get get some sort of, you know from the day they're born they're, they're, they're very much been heavily stereotyped um we've st- still got this sort of uh, warrior ethos um, going on in the background so so from a very young age um, boys are, um, the, 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 they're oriented towards tools and trucks and, and and toys that are that are sort of uh, mechanistic in, in in the way in which they operate, and that's very much you know the, the core of your left mind. And, and at the same time, girls are sort of oriented towards dolls and teddy bears and so on and so forth, which are very much relationship based. Mm. And and you know this goes. I think this this ultimately goes back. I think at least sort of six thousand years, believe it or not, um, to when um, to, to when the soldier was invented. so way you know way, way way back in, in, in history. And if you you know, how I would characterize it is to say that you know we all animals and we and we are animals have to have to try to be balanced between um, assertive behavior. And integrative behaviour. So, so if you look at dogs, you know, sometimes dogs will bark and sometimes they'll show their bellies. And, and all animals intuitively understand that to, to create a sort of harmonious society, you know, sometimes you have to stand up for yourself and be assertive, and at other times you have to just go with the flow and, and do what other people want to do in order to, to maintain the peace. And um, all human beings should strive to, to, to have that kind of. Harmonious balance within the one individual, but I think what happened going back about six thousand years or so was that that um, with with soldiers, um, the, the 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 sort of responsibility for being aggressive, being competitive, um, for cutting and killing, and for being divisive was sort of allocated to men. And women became the, the homemakers and they were responsible for um, collaborating and, and, and nurturing and being integrative and so on and so forth. And that's almost sent the two genders down, um, sort of cognitive development pathways, if I can call it that, mm. to the point where it's almost become a you know, genetic um, and that's why I think that, that in general women are more right-brained now, and, and men are more left-brained. But of course, the, the the world's changing. The world's changing rapidly, and and you know. There's a lot less of a requirement for soldiers nowadays. So, so bringing up little boys to be sort of stoic and strong and not to cry and to to be hyper competitive and always wanting to strive to get to the top of the tree and to be aggressive and stay there when when they get to the top of the tree. I think those kind of behaviours are pretty destructive in modern society. But that's a lot of what we see in corporate life and in political life and so on and so forth. And we've got you know a, a, a political system that's very sort of adversarial. And it puts it puts a lot of people off because it's you know it's, it's sort of very disingenuous and very aggressive. And I, I think you know it's over the last you know, 60, 70, 80 years, you know obviously women have become much more emancipated, much more liberated, um, and. In many ways, women, because they've got the kind of dominance of the right mind, they've, they've actually been given primacy of the more powerful of the two brain hemispheres, as irony would have it, because they've, they've sort of had to be... They've had to suffer 6,000 years of subjugation in, in return for that gift. But nevertheless, I, I do think they are, on average, more balanced and more more whole than, than guys are. And because, um, you know, women are able to compete in the, in the workplace... And, and, and this is linked to the sort of emasculation of men and the social marginalisation of men, and, 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 and some of the body image issues that that, that, that probably are behind you know mm-hmm. some of the things that you've been talking about. This kind of, for some men, that that role is no that role of being strong and tough and stoic is no longer relevant, and, for, and some guys struggle with that, and, and, and they struggle with with women who who are actually sort of better equipped. Cognitively, socially, emotionally, um, to, to to sort of deal with the world as it is now, rather than, than a world where you know he's just about cutting and killing and, and so on and so forth. The the way Donald Trump's going on, we might we might soon return, we might soon return <laughs> to that world. So those skills might not be completely redundant. But um, yes. and I you know I think that's that's the thing. If you we, we, you know human society is at of our crossroads, we can either move forward and try and. Um, become more integrated and globalizations you know pushing people together mm-hmm. and and we can either embrace that and integrate or we can we can revert back to wars and destruction and yeah. And that's that's really why I say you know, making women more influential is, is important. What I really mean is making the right mind more influential. Yeah, yeah. So the fastest way to do that is to make women more influential.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I loved that. I thought it was a it was a great line in the book and one that stood out for me because we talk about it on our workshops is often when we've got a group of, of, of guys and girls training together, we'll say, Here's five steps to the human flag and what happens is the guys go for the hardest one first and then they work yeah. their way back down. Whereas the girls go what's stage one, and I'll do that. And when I can do stage one, I'll do say, stage two. And the, the reality, or the, the what happens, is they learn far quicker because they they haven't got this ego. And it probably links to some of the stuff that you, you're talking about about got to be the strongest and the yeah. biggest and the fastest. Um, yeah. and the the girls don't don't have that baggage, so they actually the absolute dream for us to coach. Um, and again, it made me think a little bit about what you talk about the history of that around guys and, and what we see in the industry now a little bit around male dysmorphia. And everyone wants to be the biggest. And the toughest, and you've got to have a, a physique that is sort of we put them in front of a magazine because we hold these trophies up of this is what guys should look like, um, mm-hmm. and then they're therefore putting people under a massive amount of pressure to kind of uh, apply or, or um, to match these sort of what has become a social norm. I think. Um, and the last bit and we'll wrap it up um, care is but um, again this, this gave me some heart in the book is that you talk about that we that we can have hope that we can actively shape life mostly in small local ways um, yet which at the right time could cause seismic shifts across a whole human system mm. and I think that's a really sort of for us as a take home of going actually what, we, what we're trying to communicate is a real uh, positive form of training which integrates a lot of the stuff that we've talked about the physical and the mental um, it has some of the components which help to make people experience happiness and to live happier lives because it just offers up these different things that, you, that people can get take from it um, mm. and it gave me it really sort of like um, it, it gave me some confidence that we need to move forward with sharing some of these messages mm. and the power mm. of what we're doing and trying to do and yes it, is, it feels quite small and we're teaching people to do handstands and the great schemes of world wars and and Donald Trump that feels like a relatively small thing but um, mm. we all, if we we're all doing a little bit more of that sort of stuff mm. and we're more in touch with a lot of the things that we've talked about then maybe you never know we could be moving to a better place yeah you, you said in the book there was one bit I loved
0: related to that was that you said that any one of us because the world is so close now because of the because of the internet literally anybody can be connected to anyone that it could be any one of us that could be the catalyst for that change um
2: yeah, I yeah, think that's I think, that, that, that's, think. A, that's a really important message, and it's really key. And it says it, it's inherent within how complex systems work, because one of the key messages is that you know that there are somewhere between seven and eight billion people on the planet now. So there's there's no single individual um, has, has got the sort of capacity to, to change the way the world works. But that's not how complex systems work anyway complex systems are made up of all of the little individual nodes within it um, that that operate across the network and and there's a brilliant metaphor that I love that that, um, explains beautifully how complex systems change and and they they don't change um, systematically or slowly or consistently the metaphor is um, if you think of grains of sand being poured onto a table and as every single grain gets added to this obviously the sand pile increases and every every now and again one more grain of sand will cause a a bit of a sand slide or a little ripple down down Mm -hmm. the sides of the sand dune but there comes a point at which as the sand gets added That the sand dune gets to what's called a point of criticality, or as I call it in the book, the edge of chaos. Mm. Okay, so the edge of chaos is a a term, it's a beautifully sort of evocative term. Yeah, I love it. It's used in, in complex systems. Yeah, I love it. And what the edge of chaos means is that point of criticality at which just one more grain of sand could, might make no difference whatsoever, it might cause a little landslide. But it could actually cause the whole sandpile to collapse, mm. and and that that that's how complex systems change. So, so the Arab Spring was actually a you know a recent example of of that sort of that the way in which a relatively small thing, as it you know there happened to be a guy in Tunisia who set himself alight because he was getting hassled by the police. He was a street, street trader, and, and through social media, that one guy you know committing suicide. Cause this massive sort of ripple of, mm. of change that spread like wildfire across social media, and, and and the great thing with social media and internet is that we're all now so interconnected that you know just it's it's going to be thousands and thousands of little things, and, and you you guys might be you know teaching teaching people how to use their body to get more more physically healthy, and I might be writing a book, and somebody else might be yeah. recycling their waste, and somebody else might be campaigning for Amnesty International, whatever, but. You know, it's it's all of those thousands of little things all added up, and any one of us could be the grain of sand that causes, yeah, the, yeah. causes the cascade, and we, we, you just don't know when it's going to happen. But that, that is what gives you what gives you hope that you can change what seems like a, an impossible an impossible task to change such a complex system. But that's what gives you hope that you can change. It. Yeah,
1: love that. That's beautiful. That's a great a great place to finish. Yeah. So I definitely, I've got some more reading to do. I haven't had a chance to read the whole thing, but um, I would definitely recommend picking up uh, a, a, book, a copy of Kenneth's book, A World in Two Minds. We'll put the details yeah. um, in the show notes. But there's some really interesting, some really challenging thoughts. And I think, like you say, if we can all find our little place in what we're doing in our our little world and our society to try and, as you say, change our thinking to change the future, then, then hopefully... Um, we can maybe in our lifetime or somebody else I've got a little boy who's 15 months old so um, I'm going to go home immediately and take his trucks off him
2: but <laughs> 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 well, hopefully like,
1: it might be in his lifetime or, or maybe his, his child so
2: um, yeah that's been great yeah, yeah, absolutely great lovely to talk to you guys
0: thanks a lot so we have been Tim and Jacko from the Scorecaster Next so Kenny until
1: next week class dismissed <laughs> So we hope you've enjoyed the playground session this week, guys. There is all of Kenny's details in the show notes where you can find his website and social media accounts and where you can pick up a copy of his amazing book. We'd really appreciate it if uh, if you could leave us a
0: review for the podcast. Um, It just helps us feel a bit better about ourselves, but as well as it helps other people to find the content. So if you find it helpful and valuable... Please leave us a review as well as
1: sharing the podcast with any of your friends. And if you could make that five stars, then that helps other people to find us. And we would really appreciate that. Yeah. So we can, uh, we can get this out to some more people and hopefully you can benefit from, from these great op- uh, people that we get to share these conversations with. And remember, if you've got any uh, questions predominantly related to calisthenics, <laughs>
0: then send those in because we'll be answering those and pick those up on our next Q&A session that we do on the playground sessions.